Hello and welcome to Genderfuck, the sexual health and well-being podcast ran by trans people and for trans people. I'm your host, Dan Griffiths. My pronouns are he, him. And I'm Oliver Ellis and my pronouns are he, him. Uh, today we're joined by our good friend, Artie. If you'd like to introduce yourself, kind of what you do and like what you're about and all of that good stuff. Yeah. Hi, I am Artie. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I'm kind of one of those uh, ADHD doers of everything because I am... <laughs> I cannot just commit myself to one thing, which I also um, prescribe to my general entire personality as a Libra, uh, bisexual, <laughs> and non-binary. So choices are not my forte. Um, but yeah, writer, artist, speaker, creative in general, um, trans, aspec, queer, bi, multiply disabled. I don't know. Uh, uh, all of those, <laughs> all of the things. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. So we're probably just going to get like straight into the questions and stuff like that. But the kind of general thing that Artie said that they really wanted to kind of talk about with us was kind of the intersections between transness, uh, asexuality and disability and kind of how all those things kind of manifest in their day-to-day life and stuff like that. Um, So we're just going to get straight into the questions if that is okay with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of big question off the bat, because you said you're multiply disabled. So if you feel comfortable saying like, what are your diagnoses? Um, yes, we have a long list. So I'll do my best. I have made notes <laughs> because, um, I always forget at least one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we are ADHD, autistic, dyslexic, uh, fibromyalgia. I've got a rare type of vasculitis called Takayasu's, um, I have some kind of uh, connective tissue disorder that's currently been set as hypermobility syndrome, uh, Crohn's disease, BPD, and uh, an underactive thyroid, which is the least exciting of the list. That's that's the list. (laughs) Were those ranked in order of excitingness for you? (laughs) Honestly, I don't even know anymore. No. If it was, it would be Takayasu's first because... um, that's why I had to delay <laughs> speaking with you guys because uh, um, yeah. my arteries decided to just be inflamed again. So, <laughs> oh, it's okay. Don't worry about like rearranging stuff. We're pretty easy. But um, so, following on from that, um, if you want to tell us a little bit about kind of your story, you know, when you were diagnosed with some of these things, kind of what your reaction has been like. Um, yeah, I mean, I think most of my diagnoses were never a surprise, mm-hmm. um, because they have all just kind of impacted my life basically since day one. Um, it's just more of like one of those moments of, holy shit, everything now makes sense again, which is mm-hmm. also sort of my experience with, um, like sexuality and gender as well, is mm-hmm. that like, once I've found the thing, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's why. Nice. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, like, I have known I was queer since around age 14. Um, and I think a lot of the, uh, like, ADHD autistic stuff goes in with the ways that I've kind of responded to a lot of these diagnoses or discoveries because like I just remember someone telling me what the word bisexual was and being like oh okay same (laughs) and that was just it there was no like inner turmoil I was just like oh yeah makes sense nice (laughs) add that Mm -hmm. to my list 
Um, and then the same with thing with um, being non-binary that took a bit longer to work out the words I liked more. But it was just one of, thing, one of those things where you're just like, ah, that makes so much sense now. Thanks. Um, mm. And that's kind of just how the ADHD and autism stuff has been. That's been the most recent when it comes to like big life-changing things because that's been like within the last couple of years. Um, I'm still waiting on my assessment for autism uh, because NHS, fun. Um, But I got diagnosed with ADHD in October of 2021, like literally two days after my 27th birthday. I was like, nice. Happy birthday to me. Um, A little gift. Yeah, I was like, finally, (laughs) feeling validated for everything that I've struggled with my entire life. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then, like, the other kind of more physical diagnoses, Takayasu's was 2020, um, Crohn's was 2019, um, Fibro was 2017, 2016, BPD 2018, um, and I think the hypermobility one was, like, I don't know, I've been re-diagnosed, like, three times, so I think the first time was 2013. Um, Mm. And then the longest standing one is dyslexia uh, and I was diagnosed around six or seven. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I said, they were kind of just moments where you're like, Oh, okay. Finally I have like a reason <laughs> for why I am yeah. going through this or why I just am like this and why people respond to me the, in the ways that they do. <laughs> so did you spend a lot of time kind of wondering what kind of some of these things were before actually finding out? Yes, I have done so much of my own research on Mm. all of these things um because i've often had to be the one to take a diagnosis guess to a doctor Mm. yeah um because like i was having a lot of like stomach problems for like six years before i was diagnosed with crohn's um and i was just told it was just ibs um and they didn't do any other tests but then when i finished uni and got really really sick in sort of like mid to late 2018 um i was like there must be something else going on here it can't just be a bit of ibs my dude like yeah i was just so sick (laughs) it was really bad um Mm. i had to do all of my own research to try and convince um my gp to do more tests um and like the thing that really frustrates me is they often say well we wouldn't just tell you it's ibs we would do tests to make sure it is just ibs Mm. it wasn't anything else and i was like mate six years ago it was you who told me it was ibs (laughs) so (laughs) you are the one (laughs) who fucked up dude yeah and also like just like that puts the burden on you as like the patient and stuff to like do all the research when it's like it's their job to be doing all these tests and like figuring it out and stuff like that it's like i can understand that obviously like doctors in the nhs are kind of being stretched thin but like they're really just like letting patients down by just being like it's this and i'm not gonna do any other thing even if you're telling me like you don't have like all the standard symptoms or there's something else going on and you're genuinely not convinced that it is just like ibs or whatever and it's like yeah that (laughs) burden really shouldn't be on you yeah. to be like yeah. trying to figure it out yeah because i mean what you said as well about like even if you don't quite fit all of the diagnosis criteria that has always been me 
for every single diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I've never quite entirely fit the criteria properly. Um, Mm -hmm. So like one of the things with Crohn's in particular is like uh, dramatic weight loss. Um, And Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, (laughs) I know now I cannot stop eating sugar because I have ADHD. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. uh, bitch, I am fat. (laughs) Like (laughs) that fat does not go anywhere just because I'm on the toilet like all day. (laughs) so things like that and then like um low-grade fever has always been one that i never show up with either Mm -hmm. um and yeah it was it's the same with the takiyasus that there was just like there's not a lot of it on the internet that you can find Mm -hmm. um so like the one thing that was making people go i don't i don't understand what the fuck is going on with you is that i don't have a pulse in one of my arms Mm. um and the only thing that tends to come up when you look that up is, I think it's thoracic outlet syndrome, but the pulse only goes away in a certain arm position, whereas mine's right. just never there. So it took a while to get to the right point. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, again, I basically worked it out before any doctors did um, mm-hmm. and already pre-prepared with my research and decades worth of like, symptoms i'd actually been experiencing for a long time that could have been uh this crazy scary uh diagnosis that could just kill me you know fun Mm. (laughs) and everyone was like oh actually you're just fat so that's why your arm hurts Mm. i'm like yeah so there's also that element of like medical fat phobia i guess as well then yeah yeah and i also like talk about that quite specifically because i I'm, I'm, I'm like the average size for someone in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, with the bullshit that is BMI, I am I think I'm technically considered, you know, obese on that scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just like, if I struggle to get listened to as like an average sized person in the UK, um, other people who are much more like visibly fat or, um, you know, who aren't small fat, <laughs> like... Mm me basically um must have a whole other host of like issues or worse issues than what i have had to deal with as well Mm. because like a lot of my friends who are fat um who are bigger than me um have been struggling to be heard by Mm -hmm. doctors um and also i think that feeds into other trans related topics too of like sometimes you don't feel like you're allowed to um like just experiment and dress in different ways Mm -hmm. until i don't know someone has to kind of overtly give you permission so like yeah it all kind of just feeds into each other and you're just like wow it's just a really really big spider diagram and i'm lost (laughs) and confused uh of where Mm -hmm. one ends and another one begins (laughs) yeah I feel like that feeds quite quite well into the next question, if you want to ask. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it feeds pretty well into kind of... It's a really, really big question. I don't expect you to have, like, the world's most eloquent and, like, (laughs) well-thought-out answer or anything, because I think it is so big that I don't know how I would tackle it as if I was in your position. But, like, how do you think that your, like, transness, disabilities, and asexuality um, interact with each other? Yeah, I mean, I am still walking down the path of working it out myself as well anyway, um, because I 
have particularly with like my asexuality kind of dipped in and out of identifying with that mm-hmm. um just because like i think that's one of the few things that's really lacking a lot of representation and conversation around it um that it's not as simple as you know asexuals don't have sex or don't like sex and those sorts of things mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. or even like because when I did dip into identifying with that for like a while, a few years ago, it was more along the lines of like um, demisexual. So um, only wanting or feeling sexual attraction or whatever with people you kind of know. Mm. Um, whilst that I feel is accurate, there is also a lot of that uh, like hetero like compulsive hetero bullshit of oh but everyone feels that way mm, yeah. actually that's normal um you know the whole like weird stigmatization of like okay i didn't say it wasn't normal <laughs> so why are you telling yeah. me that's normal <laughs> um so yeah that's one that i'm still kind of working through but um i have noticed that there's those kinds of links with oh okay so this has impacted my um sex life and sex preferences because also a lot like lots of things during sex trigger like dysphoria and I don't really mm-hmm. tend to experience a lot of dysphoria myself mainly it's like socially with like name pronouns how people like speak of and to me um and then apparently uh when I have sex with people <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um and that's definitely been sort of impacted by the asexuality of like, oh, but I don't really feel like I can get to know people in a certain way because of all of these other factors as well. And then when it comes to the different kinds of disabilities I have, um, like the physical stuff, sometimes it just like hurts and -hmm. you just don't ever want to be touched or looked at or spoken to or thought of in a sexual manner because you're just like, I feel like shit all the time. Mm -hmm. I feel so bad and like Crohn's is particularly a very unsexy one um because it's just like uh hey I'm gonna go and have really explosive diarrhea for like three hours see you later um it's not exactly sexy (laughs) (laughs) um and then other things that come with Crohn's like really severe bloating and pain like that not exactly something you can just work through Mm -hmm. um and then like the hypermobility and um the takiyasu's impact like the mechanical functions <laughs> so yeah. like mo- like the body parts you're supposed to move to do things it's actually really painful to do those things or kind of low-key dangerous as well mm. um but like it kind of feeds into that idea of oh pillow princess like but actually <laughs> i'm just disabled um but also yeah that feeds into the dysphoria as well of like, mm, but I don't want to be seen as submissive pillow princess because mm. I am not pillow princess. Ew. Um, nothing wrong with pillow princesses. I'm just saying like, <laughs> you know, that kind of feeling t- for me makes me feel very uneasy and insecure mm-hmm. and like not super confident as a non-binary person. Mm-hmm in like mm. a sexual position <laughs> um yeah. 
And then there's a lot of things I'm learning still as well about like ADHD and autism when it comes to sex too. One I find very funny is um, ADHDers just can't focus in sex. So they (laughs) they can struggle to climax. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, mood, same. (laughs) I want to do a whole episode about like neurodivergence and like how it can impact sex because I think it's so interesting. I don't know how much research there actually is about that, but I know I follow some people where I've been hearing Mm -hmm. a lot of these things um, who I think have read studies. So I can definitely Mm -hmm. find and link you to those people. (sighs) Yes, please. Um, (laughs) Another one that I find really funny is that, um, I've definitely seen stuff where it's like people with ADHD tend to be more into kink stuff because it's, if you're focusing on that, like you can focus on like the pain or something like that. And it gives you like that dopamine hit. And I was like, shit. Yeah. That's actually something else that this person I follow has said as well too. Mm -hmm. That's Um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that and um, like autism's like sensory differences as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are just there are just different things that feel sexual to me that don't feel mm-hmm. sexual to other people, like or like feel more intimate at least. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of autistic people say and feel the same sort of thing. Like eye contact feels very mm-hmm. intimate to me, and I'm like, mm, I don't want to look at you. Ugh, disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Looking you in yeah. the eye? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas, like, if I'm with a partner easy love it absolutely mm. love staring at you for hours but like mm. if it's a platonic friend or like people i don't know very well i just do not want to look you in the face ever mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah i get that and then like also other kinds of sensory things of like which probably also feeds into what you were saying about kink too of like some people will be hypo sensitive so mm. we'll need more like sensory feedback to enjoy and experience sex yeah in like um i've already said it but in a way that they enjoy my brain was just like (laughs) (laughs) none um so yeah i think there's a lot of really interesting things that can keep being talked about on Mm -hmm. each of these things separately too but i also like i think the biggest thing for me when it comes to my asexuality is how easily I can slip into sex repulsed, which is mm. like weird and difficult and can be really hard to explain to people. Mm. But like, I think there's this bit like this whole thing online with, I don't know whether it's ADHD or autism or like people with both or whatever, but like I hear a lot of people saying, oh, it takes two seconds for me to experience the ick and then you never you can never make Mm. up for it ever again you are completely like you've transcended into ick forever and i can never see you like sexually or romantically in a positive light ever again um and that's kind of how like that sex repulsion can be i'm like oh Mm -hmm. no that thing did not go well that one time so i can never do that ever again um or like you just see someone like a slightly different light like i i'm like the worst person on dating apps because i'm like yeah i don't really want a relationship but also um <laughs> i'm aspex so i don't want to sleep with you either <laughs> <laughs> and people are like okay well we can just like fuck i'm like 
oh, oh, goodbye. <laughs> I'm turning to the yeah. queen. How dare you speak to me in this manner? Like, uh, <laughs> um, but then if people don't show enough interest in me, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm really bored now. Bye, ADHD. Mm. On, time to go. So yeah. it's just like <laughs> the impact of all of those things on all of this stuff uh, w- relation to like sex and relationships is just like uh, one one obstacle after another and that's not even really um also speaking about and including just people being people because <laughs> mm-hmm. they yeah. suck and that's sort of just like full stop uh new paragraph so kind of going off that you mentioned to us that you've been single now for the past four years by your own choice um so what made you make that decision and how do you feel like it's impacted you um i decided to do this because i'm i think it's I think it's early May is my four year like mark. Mm. Um, And I decided to do this because um, my last relationship uh, was, I say last, all of my relationships have sucked really, really bad. (laughs) Um, Mm. And I've had a really unhealthy and um, yeah, like very trauma related response to people uh, romantic and sexual relationships in general and also my relationship to myself um mm. and I was just like finding myself constantly in this same sort of cycle of like oh I will be so obsessed with someone um I've just met uh for three months and then it will like absolutely explode in flames and then I find someone else right away uh, and repeat um mm. and that's basically what happened when I was at university the first sort of my first experience of more the more queer dating scene as well so I was like yes I'm going to like really um I don't know like make up for what I never really got to experience as um Mm -hmm. a queer trans person in the countryside Mm -hmm. as a teenager yeah (laughs) um which you know very common loads of people do that but then like it just sort of went straight to incredibly unhealthy um and one of the things of like taking that break and valuing myself more but also learning more about myself how I've been able to forgive myself and forgive some of those people for being trash (laughs) (laughs) basically because like um I can definitely see a lot of times where something really bad happened between me and friends or me and partners and I'm like oh that was an autism Mm. um but like I just did not know that but also the BPD was so easily triggered all the time by any perceived sort of like um not even necessarily perceived rejection but just like I was suspicious all the time I had no self-value um and for me it really was one of those times where it was like now I need to love myself first before I can try to love anybody else Mm -hmm. um which you know it's not accurate for everybody I just personally took that route for myself because it was just I was never fixing it it was just the same shit happening over and over again and I was surprised every time (laughs) yeah oh hello uh, you are autistic and you can see this pattern emerging again and you're still surprised (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah, I decided that I just needed to not date anybody anymore. I was trying to finish my 
um, creative writing bachelors. I was trying to get over the last person I was with that was crazy and a really, oh my God, just a time, TM. Yeah. Um, and I was just like really wanted to focus on enjoying the last summer I would have in London with all my friends from uni um, as much as possible. Um, and then kind of just keep that focus on myself and what I actually wanted and what I wanted to achieve and learn and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I feel like it's been good. Generally, it has impacted me well. But now I just cannot stand people. <laughs> mm. um, I hate dating. I hate online dating, which is stuff I've talked about as well as a disabled trans queer person in other spaces mm. too. Of like, I hate trying to date as a multiply marginalized person um, because like nobody meets the absolute lowest bar mm. of, you know, isn't a homophobe, isn't a biphobe, isn't a transphobe, isn't a Tory, uh, isn't, uh, what the fuck else, <laughs> isn't ableist, or at least is actively working on the ableism that they have, um, mm. sees me as a non-binary person, you know, <laughs> not as a woman light, and, yeah. uh, and also can respect the fluctuation of my asexuality as well because i mean that's the one thing like in four years i've made a lot of jokes of like hey you know i have not had sex in a long time but at least i don't want to kill myself anymore like <laughs> one thing for another yeah. it's like i i can you know leave off sex for years and just be uh existing mm. without much sexuality of anything uh and i'm fine i think the yeah. only thing i now wish I could find and develop is something more of like an actual partnership. But yeah, people suck so much. <laughs> um, and yeah, like I said earlier, like if people are a bit too interested, I'm like, oh no, can't do that. Mm. Can't do that. Yeah. No. Uh, but then if they're not interested enough, I'm like, well, you've got to go too. Okay. Um, do you think... Because you've already done four years doing this, do you think this is something you'd potentially be doing like for a lifetime, or can you see yourself ever kind of going back to the dating scene or whatever? Because I can one hundred percent understand why you wouldn't mm -hmm. want to kind of go back to dating and stuff. Because you would hope that people could meet the bare minimum, but it's surprisingly difficult on dating apps, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I'm just curious if it's something you think that you'll probably end up doing like lifelong or if maybe something could change or if there was like something that would make you want to change maybe. Yeah, I think, um, I think the one thing that's been very positive for me from choosing to not rely on uh, romantic partners for validation <laughs> is is that really is that I don't need a singular person to make me feel worthy or good and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are other things I was thinking of, but I had about five of ideas come up at once. So <laughs> <laughs> going for my listicle, hello, uh, point one, two, three. It's quite radical in a sense, like what you've 
decided to do as well to kind of just completely for your own sake like forego all these things that are deemed normal sorry i'm trying to think like there's this whole there was this whole like thing literally maybe last year that started being popular of like a conscious uncoupling or some shit like that mm. i'm like bitch i've been doing that for four years <laughs> <laughs> i'm not the only one who's just like choosing to be fucking single mm-hmm. right? yeah. Like, yeah yeah like um before like maybe this last year or so it, it has been seen as very very strange to just mm. want to be single um or just to have such high standards for the requirements of a relationship of any kind um yeah. but like i think in general i'm open to the idea of this just being my forever Mm. it's not scary anymore because i am also cultivating these friendships um that you know give me what romantic relationships give me for the most part Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um because to me my ideal sort of partner would be someone who is basically my best friend as well um yeah like i can't imagine like all (laughs) like a lot of what like the cishet jokes of like why do men always hate their wives and girlfriends? Oh God, Why yeah. do the girlfriends always just like, you know, all this sort of thing. I'm like, I can't imagine being with someone I don't even fucking like. Yeah, like, yeah like exactly. You, like, I can't, if I don't like you, you'll fucking know it, my dude. Like, I, <laughs> Makes like, no my, sense. My autistic face will show you that I am not interested in anything you've said. Um, <laughs> or that I absolutely abhor you and you need to get out. Um, but like, it just seems impossible to find like the right kind of person or people. Cause like as well, I'm open to the idea of polyamory, but mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I don't know, dude, because uh, most people are not open to that as an idea or they, their idea of it is actually kind of a twisted, fucked up version of it. Yeah. Um, which is still just cheating on people but with some kind mm-hmm. of fake excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like I've said to people like my friends in the past, of like, you know, my ideal relationship or relationships would be like several part-time partners. Um, none of them live with me. <laughs> um, they'll come over on like a, a schedule one, one weekend, next weekend's for the next person. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. you know, I they would all be different very different kinds of genders and different kinds of people because I that's the other thing of just being like multi-gender attracted is I genuinely have no idea how I would choose a person to just <laughs> like mm. choose for the rest of my life I know that's not how it works because like <laughs> the people I have dated in the past it's not like I chose them above everybody else it was just you know it happened and i was like yeah i will spend the rest of my life with you but like as a single person of four years i'm just here like people are so great but yet so bad how am i supposed to pick anybody yeah i think it's it's totally fair and it's a good thing to kind of reframe relationships in that way and like being single because there is that pressure of like if you're not in a sort of monogamous relationship a lot of people feel like they've sort of failed in some way but it's like maybe you just get what you need from your friends like as you said like it's Mm -hmm. so important to have that kind of you know accepting and loving yourself first and then kind of figuring out how other people fit into your life versus like the other way around 
I also think that there's a, a very heavy like load to put on a single person mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be everything. Yeah. Um, because that's another thing that I've been learning in these like few years too. When uh, it's also like how I cope with friendships and stuff, and learning how to communicate with people generally. Um, that you know, not like people can't do and be everything for you all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and like, I always end up talking about <laughs> like a couple of friends from university, but like they were the first couple of people who helped me reframe boundaries in my head mm-hmm. that they were no, they weren't a rejection to me, but they were safeguarding the person who puts up the boundary. Um, and then becoming more chronically ill and disabled has also been part of that process for me as well of like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I kind of have to, um, really put these boundaries in place to take care of myself, but also take care Mm -hmm. of my relationships with other people too. Yeah. That, you know, a lot of things that I was seeing as rejection, maybe weren't that deep. Maybe it was just stuff that other people were also not very good at communicating um mm-hmm. and i think that's sort of my my like bottom line is i wish i could like have a better communication with people um because that always tends to be where the failings are in romantic relationships for me is that like no matter how many times you say yeah i want no bullshit like i i just want to let you know how i'm feeling and all this that, and the other and i want to you know be my own person um but you know i also want to date you i think you're really cool uh and then like it just falls apart because it isn't reciprocated or there is no attempt to reciprocate that kind of actual open clear communication that people say they want mm. um and i feel like that's where we sort of maybe verge into again sort of the neurotypical but cishet normality kind of stuff because like as a broader more abstract subject i like to look at queering and queer as like a not just a sexuality thing but Mm -hmm. like as an everything thing because i mean even if i wasn't uh trans and queer i feel like being neurodivergent is kind of queer because <laughs> mm. you don't you don't look uh, or see things in the same way as uh, the people who created the rest of the rules for society. Yeah, totally. And here mm. I am getting into my usual bullshit again of like <laughs> society this and I hate things and no me that's me don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> that was me and my masters where like they'd do a thing and I'd just start going off about like capitalism or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's me every five <laughs> minutes. I'm like, you know what? Um, it's actually capitalism's fault, um, and we all need to be on a commune and um, be done with this bullshit. Like everything that I say always verges into political like mm-hmm. <laughs> arguments. Yeah. I'm like, sorry, my dude, I don't know how to separate any of these things. <laughs> well, that's the whole thing is that it's not like it. Yeah, it shouldn't be separated. Like it does all kind of interact and like living mm-hmm. in a world that was designed for like a very sort of small specific group of people, and that just doesn't really work for everyone else is like a very frustrating thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a lot of these things are because of the way that everything is like inherently political. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, like sometimes you do just have to like look at it in a political way, which is really annoying because I don't understand politics half the time. <laughs> oh, so I'm like trying 
like I'm trying to get my head around stuff and like there are people that I know who like know all of like the different like isms and stuff like that and I'm like I don't fucking I don't know any (laughs) of this I'm just trying my best but everything is so political especially when it comes to like people's identities and like how people are treated and like the systems that work against us and stuff like that so yeah i think as well like the more marginalizations that you encompass the more inherently political your existence just is Mm -hmm. um but also like i feel like that's been a really big part of um all of this self-growth and self-understanding for me too is like hey actually um not letting these angry white men make me feel bad Mm -hmm. about myself is actually kind of radical and cool and like yeah. fuck the government vibes. So um, yeah, absolutely. That and like still li- like still existing because um, also uh, in January this year, trigger warning for um, suicide, but was my ten year anniversary since my last suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big well part of me just sticking around was like, hey, me still being here, uh, just out of spite. It's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's like the one thing that sort of mainly kept me through is, hey, I'm here out of spite. <laughs> so, <laughs> so have you experienced discrimination due to any of your marginalized identities? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the real pain in the ass with dating and mm-hmm. uh, sex life, to be honest, because if it's uh, if it's not really aggressive transphobia then it's a really weird fetishization mm-hmm. um because like yeah i've i've talked about these experiences elsewhere before i don't know where i know i talk about it a lot though <laughs> where i'm just like yeah i if i want to date men um of any kind you kind of get stuck with like you know pretty mainstream dating apps which are not exactly queer friendly mm-hmm. trans friendly yeah. mm-hmm. crip friendly any of the above um uh, and like most of the people who pop up tend to be cis dudes cis straight dudes um who are either like really weirdly grossly fascinated by you mm-hmm. <laughs> um like i genuinely had to put like no tories in my profiles because i would just get lots of really stereotypical right-winging like men oh god <laughs> same wanting to, i had like, to do that with me i'm like sir do i look <laughs> <laughs> how dare you um it works surprisingly though like saying no tories they actually do fuck off <laughs> so, that's good it's a good um, advice that's genuinely a surprise to me is that they actually listen to the no tories <laughs> <laughs> comment mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you either get that or you get people who are like, you know, kind of sneaky, not really like, don't really say where they are at on the like political spectrum or anything and, uh, kind of vague and you're like, oh, this, this seems like, like a normal person who I could have a conversation with. And then they like call you the tea slur and frigid and all these sorts of things because you say that you're trans or non-binary and ace or whatever in your profile um you know it's really fun being that walking contradiction con- contradiction oh my god mental illness <laughs> <laughs> of uh you know slutty bisexual but frigid asexual um <laughs> you know i feel like my entire life has just been uh encompassing 
contradictions everywhere. Um, so that's sort of my main problem when it comes to mainstream apps. The less mainstream ones, which are a bit more like queer central, are always like full of really ugly, gross, uh, quote unquote, polyamorous men <laughs> <laughs> who yeah. have like a really hot girlfriend and they're looking for their third or some shit. And you're like, mm, no. <laughs> or, or chases. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Or they tend to like, because I can't seem to find a kind of middle ground of, you know, hey, I would like to get to know you a bit more first um, with no like necessary implications that this is definitely going anywhere um, mm. without it getting super weird one way or another. Mm. Like cis dudes do not know how to hold a conversation. <laughs> um, it's true. It's, like even some like nice guys I've, Oh, nice guys. Uh, <laughs> I meant actually nice dudes that I've spoken to before. Not um, nice TM guys. Yeah, not nice TM guys. <laughs> um, like, after a while, they just don't ever attempt conversation first anymore. Mm. So you're always the one who has to start conversation. And I'm like, I don't want to fucking start conversation every day. <laughs> or, mm. like, your, attempt, your attempts at starting conversation tend to always be some kind of like debate and it's always a debate when you're trans and queer mm -hmm. and disabled um and whatever is left that isn't typical lefty kind of vibes because <laughs> like uh, like even the guys who have been nice to talk to to start with and interesting and funny every conversation then just becomes some kind of like intellectual debate and i'm like dude i just I wanted to complain about the fucking pharmacy not having my pills today. Like, I don't yeah. need to go into philosophical detail of why that it impacts whatever. Like, you know, it, it always goes into something else. Or there's these big conversations of like, oh, well, if uh, if a girl's dating a, ho uh, a homemade word. <laughs> Homophobic. My brain was just trying to say if a girl's dating a homosexual dude, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Um, if a, like, if a girl's dating a, um, homophobic dude, I, I have questions about that girl, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and that turns into a debate of, well, she doesn't own him. She doesn't control him. It's not her responsibility to educate him. I'm like, no, but why would you fucking date someone like that? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm white, but I wouldn't date a racist man. I don't, I don't really mm. know where the disconnect is here, but like, just because I am, I don't know, atheist does not mean that I would date someone who's Islamophobic and, you know, all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So why is it, like, okay for cis people, cis straight people particularly, to date really fucked up people, <laughs> bigoted mm -hmm. people, and just be okay with it and just exist like that? Yeah, it's it's wild because it just feels like it, when these issues don't affect them, like they just want it to be this like fun little discourse, like this yeah. little debate that they have such a great time doing. And it's like it's not actually fun when you're like constantly debating that and you're just normal yeah. day to like, life. Your like, existence, yeah, basically. they don't realize that that's yeah. not actually yeah. fun for us. Yeah, it's like I don't want to have to debate this shit. <laughs> yeah, every time I. Uh, go onto the internet i want to die because of how awful the discourse always is about mm. disabled trans mm. people so thanks i definitely want that in my dms too thank you <laughs> yeah this is so exciting 
the amount of stuff I've muted on Twitter where I was just like, I'm yeah. fed up. I'm not, like, yeah. I don't want this on my timeline anymore. Like, I just mm-hmm. don't need to see it anymore. It's been years. It's like nothing new is coming into the conversation at all. It's just people being like, I want to have a conversation. But it's like, for the people who are like actually the subject of the conversation, it feels entirely one sided because we're just like, mm-hmm. We don't want to have to talk about this all the time. We just want things to actually like get better for once. So yeah. it's just like it's just that kind of like thing where we're expected to be experts about the thing and educate everyone else and debate everything without kind yeah. of considering like how exhausting that is for us, especially mm-hmm. if you have yeah. like multiple identities where people are like debating all of those multiple like identities at like the same time. It's like I don't want to I don't want to do that, man. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, I have written um, an article based on the, like, lateral ableism just within the disabled community alone. Mm -hmm. Because, like, ableism is a huge thing just that infiltrates every single conversation. Because, like, what you just said is also a disability issue. Because, like, a Mm -hmm. lot of disabled people cannot just have a debate with you right there and then about all the shit that they go through like my uh adhd kind of puts my brain into like a freeze mode where like when i experience high emotions particularly anger uh which you know these conversations tend to (laughs) evoke Mm -hmm. my brain just shuts down i don't i don't have the ability to have that debate with someone who isn't actually asking a genuine question because they genuinely don't yeah. know and would like to improve themselves like there's a difference between like oh i'm so sorry i don't know you know maybe the right words on this topic so if i say the wrong thing i like you know don't yeah. assume i'm trying to be an asshole but like it's totally okay if you say mm-hmm. hey that's the fucked up way of saying it don't say that because that's also then part of the conversation is when you're disabled, you're going to say stuff that's not PC or whatever, you know, it, you're probably going to say some outdated terms because um, like for autism, for example, it can be really difficult to get out of um, mm-hmm. like a really learned habit. It's not impossible. Like I really hate it when people are using it as an excuse mm-hmm. to just never better themselves or never better their um communication and skills and understanding of topics um but it is like something that needs to be considered more like not everyone is going to say the right thing every Mm -hmm. single time um and expecting everyone to do so Mm -hmm. is very alienating um demonizing as well because like i i get it that we don't all understand all the nuances of all these different things like disability itself is so broad and um also it's like deeply mm-hmm. linked with racism and classism but i like you know i know not everyone's gonna get it right and same with trans and queer stuff but you just know when someone has like mm-hmm. other reasons for having the debate they just mm-hmm. want to seem knowledgeable uh, they want to seem like cool and woke and like uh, uncaring. Like uh, you mm-hmm. are getting so upset about that. That's so weird for you to get so upset about yeah. this thing that deeply affects you in your life every single day. Um, and it's mm-hmm. like, no one's allowed to feel things. Yeah. 
like why would I not be mad <laughs> when someone's like okay but explain what non-binary is <laughs> yeah I hate the whole like facts not feelings thing because it's like obviously as someone who is into like the science side of human nature because I do psychology whatever it's like I like facts, obviously, but I think like the emotional side of it is also incredibly important as well. And like trying to take that aspect out of these conversations really doesn't mm-hmm. do anything to like better the cause or anything because a lot of the times these are like really high emotional things for the people who are like affected by it. And like I'm the exact same way as you when you said that like in a it, like high pressure debate thing i just freeze up i can't do it but it's like ask me to write like an essay about it or something where i can like do it like i'm so good at like arguing yeah, literally me. yeah i'm like i have all my references in front of me i don't forget everything but there's like the kind of expectation that i need to know everything i need to have all the links to everything just there ready to go and stuff and i'm like i'm not putting in that kind of work for like some random person on twitter you know like i'm at the pub leave me alone like <laughs> yeah yeah, like they think it affects your credibility when it's like, no, it actually just speaks to the fact that you actually have mm-hmm. lived experience of these topics. And so like, it's personal yeah. for you. Like that isn't a bad exactly. thing. It just is the truth. Mm, yeah, like I remember having conversations with friends at uni when it was sort of like the first chance I had of being able to live as a non-binary person, um, as myself and make all these new friends and stuff. And um, my one of my really close friends at the time uh, is autistic. She was the first autistic person I really ever knowingly knew and spoke to and learned more about mm-hmm. what autism was like just to live with. Um, and then I was also the same for her with when it comes to like non-binary stuff. So she would ask me questions that would make me sort of maybe feel a bit like um, on the defense. Cause she once asked me like, Oh, like, I totally respect and believe you when you say mm-hmm. you're non-binary, but how do you know? Um, and like at the time that set off my like fight or flight instincts. I was like, right, ready. How do I, how do I deal with this question? Um, and because as well, I was so early into mm-hmm. it in general, like understanding the, my first answers were the typical, like, Oh, gender role stuff. And then, when she brought that up to me, I'm like, okay, well, that's just gender roles. And I don't believe mm-hmm. any of those things either, but I'm a woman. I was like, okay, yeah. um, it, it just feels it. <laughs> and I like, what? that's one thing I see so much as well at the moment is like mm. try, defining womanhood and defining gender. And it's like, okay, <laughs> define gender past gender norms and sex, which isn't even real. Um, mm-hmm. And the answer is always, I just feel it. Yeah what's wrong with that mm-hmm. why can't you just feel like your gender yeah absolutely um, and then other things that you were saying too about like how emotions um impact other stuff like i'm also apparently now like a science guy i love science now biology because special interest is my myself <laughs> mm-hmm. and my body mm-hmm. being absolutely fucked up and weird uh so i'm mm-hmm. always trying to work out what the fuck is going on uh, and like one of the biggest things is that emotions and the physical body are so interconnected that mm. you know it, it, you can you can trigger autoimmune yeah. conditions just from being stressed all the time. Yeah. Um, and like 
more and more of what I've learned as well of like neurodivergence is that actually most people who are neurodivergent often Mm -hmm. also actually do have other physical disabilities. Um, It's quite a high link with connective tissue disorders for a start. Um, There is a very interesting, um, I think, psychologist, something like that. It's sort of in my area in Brighton, Brighton University, who does the a lot of studies on connective tissue disorders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's Dr. Jessica Eccles. She has a lot of very interesting studies and stuff based on the connection of connective tissue disorders and things like neurodivergence, anxiety, mm-hmm. um, trauma, all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the more I was learning about ADHD too, I was like, oh, my body could just be inflamed because dopamine does not work properly in, in my body. Yeah. I was like, wow, imagine if I had been diagnosed and treated as a child, would I still be this sick now? <laughs> mm. Like there are so many things that you could like go into thinking about it all. Um, so that's where my nerd shit goes on. It's like, <laughs> look at the weird gross science things that make me feel like the world just should not exist anymore. And you just want to crawl into a corner and just pretend nothing exists. Because it just, it's so expansive. <laughs> and and all, they're all so connected. Uh, and so is like the connection with neurodivergence and queerness and transness. Loads of studies with that too. Mm-hmm. Um, loads of studies still coming out. Um, and it's just like at a point where you, once you notice these things, you can't not notice them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and like once you notice the things that were sucky in romantic or sexual relationships, you're like, oh, yeah, um, you see it happening again and again, either in your own relationships or in the relationships of like your friends and stuff. Um, and it's just difficult to ever let, let that guard down again as mm-hmm. well. Because anytime you think, oh, okay, this person's kind of cool, they turn around and they're like violently ableist. And you're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, oh, damn it. Like, oh, we're all a little bit uh, autistic. <laughs> Are we? Mm, yeah. Are we? <laughs> Do you cry when a fucking ambulance goes past? Mm. Um, and yeah, like I, it, it's just like a point where none of those things can be separated anymore. Especially like, I think most people will, if they have like a an open mind, will start realizing, oh, yo, I'm actually disabled. Because mm-hmm. like. There's also lots of arguments outside of the disabled community of like, what is disabled? Yeah. Uh, dude, a lot, a lot of stuff. A lot mm-hmm. of stuff is disabled. Yeah. Um, and you kind of see where those different communities sort of like fracture off into weird, like supremacist areas. Like there's definitely some mm-hmm. aspects of supremacy going on online and ADHD supremacy who don't want to admit that they're autistic and mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the other people who are convinced that people with bpd are abusers that's been the fun one mm. that was great i love i love being told that i'm an abuser yeah um or or an abuser sympathizer or something mad like that and then like because 
disability doesn't look the way people think it should look you can't be disabled and all these sorts of things and it's like the whole invisible disability stuff I'm like "Mm, that doesn't exist to me all disabilities are visible yeah it's like how so many people have like I guess because of the increased like visibility of like other symptoms of ADHD other than that kind of like stereotypical like someone bouncing around Mm -hmm. on the walls kind of a thing which everyone thinks like ADHD is there's been so many people being like oh shit that Mm -hmm. sounds very me (laughs) and then there's like an increased I guess like rate of people being diagnosed with ADHD especially with like cisgender women and stuff like that because always just like really underdiagnosed for that kind of a thing um Mm -hmm. but then like people will take like that or like being trans and stuff where it's like an increased visibility and understanding about something they're like something's going on here there's something like some social contagion Mm -hmm. making all the kids trans and have adhd (laughs) and i'm like i'm like do i need to like tap the like left-handedness sign thing where it was like when they stopped (laughs) like demonizing like left-handed people like the rates went up so i'm like do i need to fucking tap this sign and it just like it feels like that and it's just like i really just don't understand i don't understand people kind of gatekeeping other people's bodies and their own experiences with like disability and stuff like that because it's like because i just like i just don't understand because it's like at the end of the day someone having a certain disability or something doesn't subtract from your own experience of having that disability Mm -hmm. as well yeah yeah and i think that's like that's that's one thing i feel like should be copied and pasted everywhere as well in every community because like oh just because that person's transness does not Mm -hmm. resonate with you does not make you any less trans or them any less trans Mm -hmm. yeah like queerness and all kinds of disabilities and you know like i also think that the weird um conflict of the over visibility that you were sort of talking about because i see it a lot as well with like queer and trans fashion that um like part of it is queer and trans people are can get really angry that straight cis people are using you know things that we get demonized for and profiting off of it and i like i kind of get it the way people mm-hmm. talk about harry styles for example yeah i was gonna say harry styles he, he i was talking to my partner about of, it yeah like he gets a lot of like um you know good feedback for being kind of like a queer looking man mm-hmm. <laughs> whereas we don't have that sort of safety both because you know he is a fucking celebrity for a start <laughs> but also a lot of things of like straight gals now look gay um so you don't know who's actually gay all the signs are like i don't know there's it's like a very big conversation i'm trying to not to say the wrong thing because i'm i don't necessarily agree or disagree with any of the points being made mm. i kind of can see all of the sides yeah like I can understand it but like I was talking to my partner about it the other day about like Harry Styles where it's like you have people always saying like fashion has no gender whatever like anyone of any sexuality or gender identity can wear whatever they want and then like Harry Styles wears like a dress or something and people like he's queer baiting and I'm like what happened to being able to wear whatever you want yeah (laughs) I'm like I you can't have it both ways I think with that kind of a thing where it's like either he's allowed to wear these dresses and stuff or you're saying that he shouldn't and then you're kind of reinforcing those like gender roles that Mm -hmm. you don't want to reinforce by saying that he shouldn't wear those kind of a thing so i never i 
I mostly I tune it out because usually I think it's like kind of like teenagers just kind of like learning yeah. this stuff for the first time and they're like maybe not really thinking through their arguments maybe is that like controversial oh. to say but like <laughs> yeah well it's just, it's the whole kind of like performative thing mm, of like yeah. y- like not everything needs like to be outrage yeah yeah well it's like it can be true that like he has privilege and like will not get shit for dressing this way whereas like you know queer and trans people will like that is very true mm-hmm. but like it can also be true that it's fine for him to wear whatever he wants yeah, like both exactly. of those things yeah. can coexist. exactly yeah and i like i think the flip side of that as well is that actually if you're not within these communities as well nobody sees it um mm-hmm. like i actually think a lot of um trans and queer people particularly go under the radar because like cishet people just don't know what trans and queer looks like a lot of the time mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. um and i think that's the same sort of thing when it comes to disability is that unless you are disabled and um have a community of disabled people around you to learn from and um discuss it with you don't see disability unless mm-hmm. it's like in your face disability like wheelchairs and um uh like crutches or walking sticks and it's the same with like oh you don't see trans people unless they're wearing a big old like i'm trans t-shirt mm, on their way yeah. to pride <laughs> like, mm. um but then there's also that it, it kind of walks the line because okay there are a lot of us who would consider ourselves to look visibly queer or trans um and it's that difficulty between you know, safety and living authentically, um, which feeds into then your own sense of self-esteem. Because, mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, do I want to risk being hate crime today while I go to the post office? Yeah, um, actually. Or do I get to exist and be myself entirely? Or, like, because that's then something else I notice a lot within, um, like, my dating experiences is that as soon as I started to dress more i don't know i feel like i've always looked kind of queer though is that that's the thing but i guess i didn't Mm. (laughs) but like i guess looking more mm, gender confusing more specifically i guess because before i would maybe be read as a queer woman Mm -hmm. but definitely not particularly like a the gender confusion that i am but like since being more open to um, dressing and styling myself in a way that's not typically accepted as like a feminine way or even masculine way has um, changed the responses and the audience, I guess, for mm-hmm. um, me on dating apps generally. Um, because like pre-cutting my hair and starting to wear more like men's and mask clothes and stuff before I went full mask because that's kind of like where you go when you're non-binary you go mask (laughs) because you never could be masked before um Mm. before all of that it was like always dudes never ever ever had any girls on dating apps to speak to um this was also kind of before like dating apps were more inclusive of trans people 
<laughs> being trans. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, like, post that, it's either I have to use the queer apps where the queer people are, um, but also the queer apps are so weirdly divided. Mm. Like, I find you can't just – there is just not really an app for – all queer people question mark mm. <laughs> like it's still divided by mm, sexuality and gender um and like as someone who kind of floats in the middle of all of that and doesn't really feel any of those things it's really difficult accessing kind of a broad dating pool yeah because i like I understand uh, I may not be many people's cup of tea, totally fine. I'm also very picky myself, you know, like mm-hmm. that's not the thing that bothers me. It's just mm-hmm. that there's also just less opportunity to meet people who actually might be interested in you. Yeah. Um, like I'm always going on, where are the bi men? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where are the bi men? Where are the bi and trans men? Um, like sometimes I'll meet trans dudes on her. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. But then also, I'm sorry for me. I'm also on her. So I'm like, mm. <laughs> we're both here, not really hers. <laughs> her <Yeah>. in. Um, <laughs> or like, uh, I've seen apparently Grinder is now more gender mm-hmm. diverse, accepting. I don't know. But yeah. that also feels like it's kind of dangerous, rocky waters as a, as a non-binary person with no want for any physical, I don't know, uh, I'm quite happy as I am, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I am often, I feel perceived as just like a cis lesbian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's sort of how I describe how I think the world looks at me. It's like, oh, that's a cis lesbian. Look at that butch girl go. I'd um, be interested in um kind of, what you think about because i like asking people what they think about it because i find dating apps really interesting but the way that tamey or timey or however you say it like splits up people because i think in my experience it's been very useful for me but like from the way that you're describing your experiences using dating apps i'm wondering how well this would work where it has like the cis men and cis women then non-binary and then trans men trans women categories and you can choose who you want to be able to see um what do you think about that kind of a system? I used it briefly because I think when I last spoke to you was when I probably just downloaded it, actually. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it kind of just lost its appeal like every other dating app, to be honest. Mm. It was just the same shit. Just yeah. Different, different packaging. Yeah. Different packaging. Like, I just. I I also couldn't really work out like why the fuck I was being paired with people who are so far away. I couldn't work out. How oh yeah, to, it's like, really weird. Minimize like the the radius. Like other apps sort of have as like a default. So I was just like, okay, how am I supposed to find anybody locally? I think <laughs> I think it was a thing where I think Tinder does it too. Where if someone who's far away likes you, then they'll come up, even if they're outside of your oh. radius. <laughs> I think that's mm. what they do, but it just doesn't. Like I would always see it's people and be confusing. like, I yeah, I'd like see them be like, you're cute, and then I'd like look at their thing and be like, they're like two thousand miles away, and I'm like, why are you? Why are you from Vegas <laughs> yeah. that big? 
first of all. And yeah. like, I don't, I'm not going to meet up with you if you're like 2,000 miles away, you know? Yeah. I think like the, for me with that app in particular was that there were, I think I, it was almost getting a peek of what Grinder must have must be like in some way. Grinder's worse. <laughs> yeah, I, I assume, yeah, that's why definitely a peak. <laughs> yeah, but like you know, there were there the way the certain profiles pop up from cis dudes, and you're like, hmm, you hate yourself. <laughs> mm. It's like my entire like dissertation was just people like all the other participants just being like, I'd ask like a question, like what's like a negative thing that you've like experienced on dating apps, just like in general. And they'd always just be there like, so on Grindr, there's like X, Y, and Z. And I'd always <laughs> just be like, okay, Grindr's really not getting, Grindr got such an awful rap in my dissertation. <laughs> Cause like people would complain about Tinder and stuff too, for like good reason. But then it would be like overwhelmingly Grindr was like really bad for trans people especially because of, like, fashionization or, like, discrimination mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. I feel like um, something I've personally noticed with speaking with my, like, other queer crip trans friends is that if you date queer women, non-binary people or trans people generally, um, they are normally more accepting of disability. Mm-hmm. Um your gender as well and uh mood can't remember what the fuck i was gonna say there was a third part to that but it is gone um whereas if you are looking for men and Mm. you have to wade through a lot of cis men um even if they are queer or especially if they are queer it's just um cishet men but gay (laughs) Mm. it's just sort of the same bullshit of like racism fetishization um fat phobia ableism um and then that's why i'm always like where where are the bi men because i feel bad they must be dealing with a lot of shit as well yeah um trying to date queer men (laughs) um or trying to date other genders as well like i feel like they are kind of lacking a platform (laughs) to access yeah i agree like um non-prejudiced people (laughs) which is like the bar is on the floor yeah it's literally on the floor um and i feel like by men probably get the worst of it Mm -hmm. to be honest um because i think for a lot of us as like trans people they'll call you the t-slayer and you're like okay cool block bye (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) moving on um we have a lot of like safety protocols of what we do and like people know that uh you know and women will tell their friends when they meet up with people and you know we have a lot of this um kind of community stuff in place of how to stay safe when trying to date or um if you've just you just want to uh sleep with some people for fun um like there are things in place certain people um it's more likely you'll be safe to just go over the house right away. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I feel like a lot of bi men being sort of like erased, um, whether they are trans or cis, to be honest, they, you know, get a lot of shit from <laughs> the cis queer, ma- like male community. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um 
but also a lot of shit from straight women. Like yeah. I feel like a lot of straight women are really homophobic mm-hmm. or biphobic specifically. Yeah, for sure. Um, like I know quite a few people who either are or have been dating people who are actually really aggressively biphobic about men. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but they, that's kind of their only option. Yeah. Like my PhD supervisor does a lot of research about kind of, um, like sexuality stuff, especially to do with, uh, bisexual people. And she always talks about these experiences of like double discrimination where it's like on the one side you have like cishet people kind of rejecting them because they're, um, Mm -hmm. because they are attracted to other genders and stuff like that. And then they also have people within the queer community who they would expect to be more understanding and accepting of these kind of a thing. But then they get also kind of like told that they're like a breeder or whatever, or they're going to like go leave them and go have a quote unquote like normal marriage or whatever, which I I feel like a lot of that kind of comes from like insecurity or something and like Mm -hmm. internalized homophobia and stuff of kind of thinking that your relationship can't be long term because I guess of like the norm and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But it's just, it's sad. like, it is sad when you think about it. It's just like, I can't really think of any kind of specific things that I've seen, which are bi man centric. Usually whenever I see things about bisexuality, yeah. it's about like bi women. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which sucks because like there was stuff where it's like, I can't remember what dating app, not dating app, what dating show it was, but there was like a guy where I don't think he was like that great anyway, but he didn't deserve this part of it where like he said to like the woman he was talking to that he is bi and he's had like relationships with guys before and stuff. And then she just like started basically really going off at him. Like that's that kind of like stereotype or like myth or like misunderstanding that like if you're with a guy who's had sex with other guys then you're gonna get HIV or something like something really homophobic like yeah. that. Yeah. Um which is awful because it's just like it that's why it's, they... also, it's so not true now. Yeah. Well. Like mm-hmm. didn't that statistic just come out that actually it's a lot of straight people mm-hmm. who are actually now um more likely to be newly diagnosed with HIV. Mm-hmm just because they don't have the same, like, um, understanding as the, like, queer community does. Yeah, I think it's because of that kind of aspect of only gay people get HIV, like, that Mm. kind of assumption that they kind of, they don't take into account their own risks, so they don't think about their own, like, kind of, what's the word for it? Participation. like like risk perception or something so they they Mm. could be doing things like having unprotected sex or using needles when they're like taking drugs or something like that but because they're not gay they're like oh i'm not gonna get hiv it's fine even if they are like participating in activities which make you more likely to contract it and it's Mm -hmm. that kind of aspect of just like there's not enough like education i think of being like yo anyone can actually get this like it's not just like one specific thing like i've been reading a book about like um the kind of at the moment i'm at it's like the beginning bit of like when hiv like came over to the uk but it's like that kind of shit whereas then like the sun or like the daily mail where it was like the gay plague or like the gay cancer and stuff like that and i think that did so much damage to a lot of these communities Mm um and that's still how people see it today Mm -hmm. sometimes as well which is frustrating And, like, globally for a while, like, 
I think like the numbers of HIV globally like have been pretty split down the middle in terms of gender. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just this very kind of like uh, I don't know, sort of like European or American idea that it's just gay men when it's like actually it affects a lot of different communities and like people who inject drugs and all these sort of groups that aren't just gay men. And it's yeah, yeah it's frustrating how people still see it that way. So our kind of final question, because this has been a really, really long but very interesting episode, um, would be kind of what do you think people can do to be more inclusive of like trans people, asexual people and like disabled people? Um, <clears throat> I think generally it all just starts with being open to new information and new ways of uh, existing. Mm-hmm. I think that just the amount of people who have a lot of just internalized ableism, homophobia, um, acephobia, things like that, is still extraordinarily high even within the community. Um, and we just need more people who are willing to use their points of privilege to actively be making more change to how things are going. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a little while ago about needing like whenever the pandemic ends, because it is definitely not over, trust mm-hmm. me, I know, yeah. being a compromised person here, have not left the house very much. Mm-hmm. Um, like I wrote a piece sort of talking about how after the pandemic, the queer community needs to actually be rebuilding um, with um, disabled people in mind when it comes to queer spaces, queer events, things like mm-hmm. that, because... Um, you know, we already know a lot of um, like old historic pubs and stuff are always being shut down because they are very expensive to rent and run. Um, but they're also only catering to such a tiny percentage of like their audience. They mm. are completely missing out. I mean, like disabled people are roughly a quarter of the population. Um, and I think it's actually probably a lot higher among queer trans people because of Mm -hmm. a lot of the overlap with neurodivergence and stuff too that it's a really big group of people that are just not being catered to for you know if we want to go capitalist sort of vibes like you know if you want to make money you've got to actually cater to a wider audience and not just the same like a small group of cis um non-disabled um mostly white queer men and women mm-hmm. you need to actually do things to include the safety of trans and um, disabled people you need to have more support available for everybody things that don't also like constantly revolve around alcohol or like mm-hmm. really late openings mm-hmm. um, like I think someone in sort of my area mentioned the one trans night in Brighton or something is like it's, it opens at 11 p.m. I was like, oh my God. what Am I in bed then? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, I will never make it there. <laughs> um, you know, there are some places that have been opening up that are centering access at mm-hmm. the heart of, like, everything. Uh, like, I think a place that's still working on opening is the Query in Brighton. Um, there's a couple of places in, I think, Glasgow. Um but like when it comes to everywhere in between the two, there, there's not many. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or like there might be a bookshop every now and again in there, but even those aren't necessarily super accessible either. Um, or they're very small spaces. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but like, it just needs to be from the beginning of all of these things. Cause like disability can lead to infantilization and so can like being mm-hmm. trans. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure yeah. lots of trans people feel infantilized when, mm-hmm. um, meeting people who aren't like used to trans people, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so like we have a lot of the same overlapping issues and wants and needs of community spaces. Um, and that's sort of where the focus should be is like, Hey, what do we have in common that we wish was like just more, um, available to everyone? Cause like we have such a high percentage of people in the queer community who, um, you know, struggle with substance misuse Mm um i'm not super well versed on that area when it comes to terminology so (laughs) if that's not exactly the right term to be using i do apologize um but like that's also inherently linked with disability too Mm -hmm. um and like why does everywhere need to be in the basement or like up three flights of stairs yeah. and why yeah. is there never like a lift or you know or like a, a open mic night where there isn't a lot of alcohol being poured into everyone's drinks mm-hmm. and and like also like there are lots of dating speed dating kind of events and stuff that I see going on but they again don't really cater to everybody involved they're either just like mono sexual or um you know very heavy in like the sapphic area uh but Mm -hmm. it doesn't really tend to be a place catered to any and all queer people um and if we just maybe took like five minutes to be like hey you know there are like bi ace polyamorous uh non-binary trans people who maybe don't feel super comfortable with the, the way we are currently marketing and um trying to produce this event maybe we should look at how to rectify that because mm-hmm. like i don't really want to go to a speed dating event for women yeah <laughs> but they also don't really exist unless it's all trans people um mm. like you know that it's it's always cutting certain people out of the picture um and i think there just needs to be a lot more emphasis on including everybody into it it's not going to be super straightforward but like it's doable yeah Yeah. totally it's just like it reminds me of those things where i would see things about like workplace accessibility and stuff like that where it's like if you put things in place where people are able to like ask for certain accommodations that also helps people who aren't disabled Mm -hmm. to also have like things that make things more accessible or what whatnot um so just like being able to do that helps everyone, not just like the community yeah. that it is designed to help. So I just don't really mm. understand the logic of like really cutting people off when it's like, it makes your kind of consumer base or whatever, like so much bigger and it also kind of helps everyone. So yeah. like just making things more inclusive isn't ever really a bad thing, in my opinion. It just makes yeah. things a lot yeah. easier. Like I feel like it's that sort of concept again of like, mm, queer uh only until a point mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's like we're queer in the name of our sexuality or gender but then nothing else we work exactly like the cishet like mm-hmm. patriarchy shit that we all complain about but then we don't want to queer anything else further 
Um, it's like, if you interrogate that more, like, mm. what, can we get a bit more creative with mm. this? You know, like, yeah, loads of disabled people actually really like going clubbing, but how is it going to be a more accessible experience to involve or include more people who maybe would like to sit at the bar and chat to a date or their friend, mm-hmm. but also be able to go and dance on the dance floor if they want to, but accessing mm-hmm. it physically and mentally. Like, this is where I want more silent discos. <laughs> yeah. I just want some silent discos so I can go chat to my friends at the bar, but then also go and dance on the dance floor. <laughs> but it just like, it reminds me of um how, because obviously there are a lot of trans people who do identify as like gay or queer or whatever, but it's like how the trans kind of community a part of like lgbtq plus due to kind of similar kind of socio-economical struggles what whatnot that's kind of like the main basis of like how we got involved so i just don't understand because yeah. if disabled people also have a lot of these struggles around kind of discrimination accessibility whatever like everything that we've been talking about today <laughs> i think like including them in these queer spaces absolutely like isn't like unconceivable inconceivable to me like i can completely like, understand how that like that would make sense to me to have these kind of like shared communities because a lot of these kind of problems are around like autonomy or kind of mm-hmm. accessibility i had another one that i had in my head as well but like those kind of things are, like infantilization you know mm-hmm. like all these struggles are quite like similar but like in a different way due to the kind of perspective of whatever the person's identity is yeah i feel like it goes back to what you're saying about the sort of queering things and it's like we don't want to just sort of assimilate into this culture that doesn't really work for anyone like the whole you know if you can get away going to a gay bar and just sort of yeah being like every other person there like that's fine but you're not really changing anything and like it's not actually really progress in that sense to do that too yeah yeah yeah. it's kind of just boring (laughs) to just be like (laughs) It's like when you see those like um like boat like those like big like boat things like the boat parties things that um like these big like gay events and they're all just like buff white gay man <laughs> and they all look the same and I'm like that looks so boring it's like where's like the queer community like where's the like spice where's the flavor you know yeah like I feel like that's a really big part as well for like my own sexuality as well is that I just really appreciate um people as their own individual people mm-hmm. um when i when i like them anyway because i don't like people generally but like <laughs> that's like the contradiction the contradictions there again of like yeah. you know i love and absolutely hate people but yeah. like i can't imagine like just ever wanting to be around one type of person forever mm. yeah totally Whether that's romantically sexually or like platonically, platonically. Yeah. like i can't imagine being around the same person like all like a crowd of one person yeah exactly like i don't know if it's like my adhd but i'm just like i'd get so bored so quiet like so fast like yeah like i just don't i don't know how people don't want to diversify either like who they're around or also what they um take in Mm. like a lot of people have that conversation with like diversifying your tiktok like for you page and shit and i'm like people have to focus on diversifying their tiktok (laughs) yeah question mark yeah like you have to you actively have to do that what yeah (laughs) can't relate (laughs) so Artie, do you have anything that you want to plug 
Um, well, I mean, you can find me on pretty much most social media, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube. Uh, what other things do people use? TikTok? <laughs> uh, I basically just um, article card in all of those. Sometimes I'll have like an underscore next to it because someone's stolen like the original username. Um, we'll link everything at the yeah. show notes also, by the way. Yeah, you should be able to just find yeah. me with Articarden. Um and I have a blog, articarden.com, where I, yeah, do the ranting, but in written form instead. Very cool. Well, thanks so much for chatting with us. Thank you. It was uh, nice to rant about some things for a while, talk about the gay shit and the disabled <laughs> shit. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to episode 13. Uh, we always love having guests on, so big thanks to Artie for chatting with us. Um, you can, as always, find us on Twitter and Instagram at genderfckpod. Um, you can also donate to us now to help out the podcast. Um, I'll, we'll put all the links in our descriptions, and we'll link all of Artie's information in the description as well. So thanks again for listening, and we'll be back in a couple weeks.